book of Psalms and Psalm 111. Psalm 111 is where uh, we will be here in just a moment. What a beautiful day God has created for us to enjoy. Uh, finally, it seems like the seasons are beginning to change and uh, I enjoy these cool, crisp mornings. It's a reminder that our God is still on his throne, that he's still reigning, that he not only created everything that we know and enjoy and is a blessing to us, but he continues to sustain our world by the power of his word. When we read through the book of Psalms, the collection of Psalms, we find that praise for God, praise for Jehovah, is certainly a very common theme. And I think all of us know that. Even some of our songs in our books today are almost word for word from the Psalms. They were not only read among God's people, the Israelites, but they were also sung many times in praise to God. And so throughout the Psalter, there appears praise for God and specific praise for God about a number of things related to him. There is praise for his greatness. There is praise for his goodness. There is praise for his steadfast love and his covenant love to his people Israel and to us as people today. There is praise throughout the Psalms for the forgiveness that God offers us, and especially as we know today, much more than the Israelites' forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. There is praise throughout the Psalms for God's creation. There's praise for God's Word, and there's praise for God's works. And it's the last of these that we want to consider for a few minutes in this session this morning as we look at this Psalm that, that hopefully you have already opened to, as we look at Psalm 111, and to think about the message that the psalmist is giving here, a praise for God's great works. And so what I want us to do this morning, it's not a very long psalm, it's only uh, 10 verses long, but just to read through this psalm, to uh, think about it section to section, to think about what the psalmist has to say here about praise for God and especially praise for God's great works. So let's begin this morning by reading through this psalm. The psalmist says to us in Psalm 111 and verse 1, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So the psalmist, obviously, as we've already alluded to this morning, as is really given in the title for this particular psalm, the theme around which this psalm is built, the psalmist begins here in verse 1 by talking about praise for his great God. He begins by praising Jehovah. He is beginning by shouting hallelujah, if you will, to his almighty God. 
But as he is doing that, as he begins with these three words of praise the Lord, notice that he follows that up immediately by telling us where this praise, where this thanks comes from. It is from his heart. That is the source from which his thanksgiving is flowing. That is the source from which his praise is originating. And of course, we know that word heart is used all throughout Scripture. And depending upon what verse we might find it in, what context we might find it in, it may be talking to us about several different things, but it's really always talking to us about the the core of who we are as people. You probably can think of maybe the most famous statement about the heart, about loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, that we're loving God with all of who we are. And so the psalmist, I think, is saying that there is no part of who he is that is not praising God. There's no part of who he is that is not thanking God. He is going to praise God with all of his heart, with his whole heart, as several translations say. And so here is a man who's not going to praise God half-heartedly, but here is an individual who is praising God wholeheartedly with every fiber of his being. That this seems to be really the focus of his life. That this is the essence of who he is as he walks here upon earth. And that should be a lesson for us today. Uh, we, we live in a world, I don't think it's unique to us, but we live in a world in a time uh, where we offer praise to all kinds of things and all kinds of people. Maybe we're praising uh, the icons of our culture today. Maybe it's uh, music stars. Maybe it's sports stars. I think politicians have kind of fallen by the wayside in our time in that regard. But, you know, we are looking to praise someone. We're looking to praise something. And here's the psalmist. His focus, again, his life is all about praising and thanking God. I want you to also notice where he would praise God. As he continues here at verse 1, not only would he give thanks to the Lord with all of his heart, but he's going to praise the Lord in the company of the upright and end The assembly, he's going to praise God, I'm sure, in his own private devotion to God. As he comes to God, maybe as he is reading God's word, reading God's scripture, and that causes him to think about who God is and what God has done, that he's praising and thanking God individually from his own heart. But also he's not ashamed, he is very willing to do that publicly. When God's people, Israel, of course, at this time, the company of the upright is assembled to worship Jehovah. This, of course, is a a theme also that runs through the Psalms. I want to just take your mind to a couple of references this morning uh, that very much parallel what the psalmist is saying here about praising and thanking God in the company of God's people. In Psalm 22, very much a messianic psalm, Here David is writing this psalm, but notice down here at verse 22, in the midst of all that maybe he is experiencing, certainly all that Jesus would experience on the cross, all the suffering, all the shame, the pain that he would endure. He says here at verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Keep that thought in mind and then turn over just maybe a few pages in your collection of psalms to Psalm 35. Psalm 35 and verse 18, notice what the psalmist again here, David, says. And this is somewhat like Psalm 22. This is, if you go back and read the entire psalm, David is suffering. He's being afflicted. 
He is calling on God to show his justice and to deal with his enemies in his way and in his time. But in the midst of all of that discussion, he says there at verse 18, I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. So here is David praising and thanking God while he is among his people. And I don't believe David, if he was writing either of these psalms while he was king, I don't think he is thinking about doing this as a show of his own righteousness so that all the congregation of Israel could look at him and say how holy and righteous he is as an individual. But rather he is trying to set an example if he is king when he's writing these two psalms. He's trying to show and lead his brethren, his own fellow Israelites, in the right way to teach them of their need to praise the Lord and to teach them of their need to praise Jehovah even while they're suffering, even when things are not going well in their life, even when they're being oppressed maybe for trying to follow God, even in that kind of situation in their lives, they can praise God and they can do that unashamedly. They can do that publicly. So I think there's a good lesson, a good application for us because sometimes maybe we, we hopefully are not shy. Hopefully we come before God's throne of grace and mercy with boldness as the Hebrews writer encourages us to do at the end of Hebrews chapter four in our own private devotions and our own private prayers and communication with God. But here I think we see a great example of David and others doing this in public. And so sometimes maybe we feel a little bit shy. Maybe we feel a little bit uneasy about saying praise the Lord or praise Jehovah in public. Sometimes maybe we even feel a little bit uneasy about doing that in an assembly of God's people. But I think David is telling us here at the outset of this psalm of praising God for his great works that he certainly was not shy about that. He was not uneasy about that. Here is a man who was just filled with praise for who God is and for what God has done. And so I think we learn a great example of that to follow in our own life. Coming back here to Psalm 111, then at verses 2 through 4, I think the psalmist really gets in to the meat of this particular psalm, and he begins to talk about praise for God's works. In this section, the psalmist uses four words that I want us to pull out of these three verses to describe the works that Jehovah does. The first word is great. As he begins verse 2, he says, Great are the works of the Lord. I don't know how many of you in this audience have had the opportunity to travel. Uh, I, I, I love to travel. I, I love to just go different places to see different things, uh, to meet new people, to just experience this life that God has given us here. And uh, if I had more time and more energy and more money, that's probably what I would be doing a lot is traveling all over the world. And maybe some of you have seen, if you haven't gone to these places uh, on your own in person, maybe you have watched a, a show on TV or YouTube video or something like that where you have seen some of the great things uh, that people have made. Uh, maybe you have been to or seen the Great Wall of China and just a, uh, a great feat of engineering to think about it being built so long ago and it stretches for such a long uh, ways across China. Maybe you have gone to or seen the pyramids of Egypt. Maybe you've been to New York City and seen the Empire State Building. Maybe you've been out to San Francisco and seen the Golden Gate Bridge. 
All of these great feats of things that we see that people have made that just kind of leave us in awe and wonder and amazement, but God's works are far greater than even the greatest works that mankind could conceive of or build. And so the psalmist says to us first here about the works of the Lord that they are great. They are great, I think, both in quantity. If you look around the world that God has made, if you look at, at His universe, all of His works are great and they seem to be almost never ending. Uh, we have taken our children some, uh, I think it was Lance and Kara that uh, mentioned this to us sometime early last year about uh, at UCA uh, on their campus in Conway. They have a planetarium there. They have a, a show each uh, Friday and Saturday night. And we've taken our kids to see that uh, several times. Yes, if you watch some of their shows, they have things about evolution. They have things about billions and billions of years as far as this universe is concerned. So you kind of have to, you know, we've talked to our kids about that. Don't agree with that. But just to see the wonders, <laughs> to see the greatness of all that God has created out in the universe, things that we don't think about when we get out of bed every morning. And it just seems to go on and on forever. The vastness of God's works. They are great in quantity. They're also great in quality, aren't they? Very great in quality. And those who find joy and pleasure in the works of God, those people who really love God, as this psalmist here in Psalm 111 does, they are seeking God's great works. They are studying them. They are observing them because I think they are all struck by the greatness of the works that God has created because they're all struck by the greatness of God himself. And so, number one, the psalmist says that his works are great. Number two, he says that his works are splendid there at verse three. Splendid is his work. If you're reading this morning from the King James or the New King James Version, it uses the word honorable. Uh, the ESV says that, that God's works are full of splendor. Here again, he's talking about the quality of, of his works, but also the quantity of his works. Uh, one Bible dictionary said about this word splendid that it means grandeur. It is something that is describing, uh, it is something that has an imposing form and appearance. And as you think about the works you can just see in creation that God has created, that God has made, that those leave us with a sense of wonder, don't they? They leave us with the sense that we really are very small. <laughs> um, we, we, when we lived in Kentucky, we went to another planetarium at the uh, Creation Museum. If any of you have been uh, there just south of the Ohio River in the Cincinnati uh, metro area, and they have a planetarium there. And uh, you can just, you, one of the shows that we saw, it focuses on the earth and then it backs out a little bit and then it backs out even more and further out. And I mean, the earth is like this. <laughs> and even the sun in our solar system is like this. It's just a little pinprick in the vastness of all the universe that God has created. And that's just what we can see at this particular point. And just to think about the grandeur of God's works, both his physical and his spiritual works are exceedingly grand. The psalmist is calling our attention to here at verse 3, along with that, he says that his works are majestic. This is the idea that the works that God has produced, that God has made, that they are excellent, that they are magnificent, that they are ornate. This is a word that, that is often used to describe royalty. Uh, 
You know, when you think about a king or a queen, you think about someone who is majestic. Maybe you think about the palace in which they live that is very ornate. It is very uh, decorated. It is magnificent. And so the psalmist is saying about the works that God has done, that they are as ornate and as stately as any that exist because God himself is that way. God is majestic. And God, as we just said a moment ago, is splendid. He is a grand God. And then the fourth word that the psalmist uses here in this section to describe the great works of God is there in verse 4, that he has made his wonders to be remembered. They are wonderful. They are high. They really are too high for us to fully comprehend. We can understand them to some degree in some way, but just to begin to think about all that God has done and all that God has made just blows our mind. They are extraordinary. They are separate, if you will. They are set apart. And so God's works are far and above, are far above and beyond our really deep comprehension. But notice as the psalmist thinks about the great works of God, there he is tying all of this again to who God is. It's splendid and majestic is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered because the Lord is gracious and compassionate. His great and splendid and majestic and wonderful works are really the product of who he is. This is the product of his righteousness. This is the product of his grace. This is the product of his compassion. And these are qualities about God that will endure forever, that his righteousness and his holiness and his compassion is going to endure forever because this is who God is. And he doesn't change, does he? But I think God performed his work for us to remember him. (laughs) To remember as we often sing that there is a God and that he is alive and that in Him we do live, and in Him we survive, that we are not self-made people, that our works, however great and grand they might be on this earth, that, that they are only possible because of who God is, and because God has created us, of course, as people in His image, and He's given us gifts and abilities and talents and opportunities to make some amazing, marvelous things. In verses 5 and 6, I think these next two sections really go together well. And I guess I could have put them all under this section that we're thinking about here on this slide about praise for God's works. Uh, But I've kind of broken it up into maybe praise for God's physical works and then praise for his spiritual works. But it all is connected together because it's all connected back to God. So look at what the psalmist says again here at verses 5 and 6, that this majestic, splendid God... This wonderful God that we serve that created everything. Verse 5, he has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. So perhaps it is the case that, that after the psalmist is thinking about just God's works in general, that maybe the psalmist is praising him specifically here for his work among his people, and the physical, material things that he provided for them. As the psalmist reminds the the people of old and is reminding us today that he gave food to those who fear him, to those who are like this psalmist, who are praising God with all of their heart, 
whose focus in life is to thank God by living a life that is pleasing to Him, that God provided food for His covenant people, people who revered Him. I want you to go back to the book of Exodus for just a moment. Maybe think about an example of this, at least in my mind. Exodus chapter 16. And let's read a little bit here in this section in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, to think about the provisions that God made for His people as they have just come out of uh, Egyptian captivity. And it's not very long till they start complaining about what they don't have. So Exodus chapter 16, beginning at verse 11, as they're griping and complaining against Moses and really not so much against Moses, but more against God Himself. Verse 11 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. And so they have left Egypt. Of course, we know that they uh, left with taking some things from the Egyptians, things that they would need later in uh, building the tabernacle and in praise to God. But it's not very long till they leave Egypt that they are complaining. They are complaining to this great God that we've already talked about here in Psalm 11. They're complaining that we don't have anything to eat as we're traveling out here in the wilderness. And God being the God that He is, because He is a patient God, because He is a merciful God, because He longs to bless His people, He heard their grumblings. And notice in the section we've read, He gave them more than enough. He didn't just say, okay, here you have a little bit. <laughs> he was very generous in providing for their needs. He gives them more than enough food. What a wonderful work. What a splendid work, as we've just described in this psalm that God is doing for His people. As we know the history of Israel throughout the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, God also performed other many physical works for His people, things like parting the Red Sea, uh, things like driving the foreigners out of the land of Canaan as they were going into the Promised Land and God doing that, not the Israelites themselves, but God going before them and giving them the victory. Indeed, as we come back here to Psalm 111 at verse 6, that he has made known, the psalmist says, to his people the power of his works. God was showing, he was putting himself on display, if you will. He was reminding his people and showing his people time and time again just how powerful he was. And God performed these wondrous works to prove that he would keep his covenant. As the psalmist says here, making a connection for us about God and the wonderful works that he did for his people, that he will, be, he will remember his covenant forever there at the end of verse 5. 
So God did these wondrous works to prove that he would keep his covenant even when at times he wanted to destroy his people. We all know the examples and remember, I'm sure, the examples of Moses getting fed up with God's people. Moses uh, wanting to, you know, just get rid of God's people and uh, God himself got fed up at times. So if you're still there in the book of Exodus, go over to chapter 32, chapter 32, and notice what is said here along those lines. Exodus 32, uh, beginning at verse 9. Uh, This is after the golden calf has been uh, made. And Moses, of course, is there on the mountain with God. And God speaks to him and tells him to go down and talk to the people. Verse 9, beginning, The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember, Moses said to God, Remember, verse 13, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all of this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants that they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do his people. Even at times when God was ready to just throw up his hands and say, I'm done. God remembered his covenant and God continued to show and care for his people. He continued to show and do great works for them. And as Jehovah's covenant people today in Christ, he has promised also to provide for everything that we need. And God is going to keep that promise. We're not going to take the time this morning to look at this passage, but over in Luke chapter 12, Maybe you can think about even the somewhat parallel passage there in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, that God's going to provide every need that we have. God knows exactly what we need. And God will take care of our needs because of His covenant with us. And so let us, as we come back to Psalm 111, let us today be like the psalmist. And let us be people who are praising the Lord for just the physical provisions that He gives to us from day to day, from moment to moment. Verses 7 through 9 of Psalm 111, then it seems to me like maybe there is an emphasis here in this section of the psalmist thinking about the spiritual works that God does for his people. And so notice what he says there as we look at those four words back in the early section about God's works are great, they are splendid, they are majestic, and they are wonderful. Here he says at verse 7 that the works of his hands, first of all, our truth. If you're reading this morning from the ESV, as I know a number of you are, maybe you are reading from the NIV, it uses the word faithful. And I think that is what is being described here. It is talking about the faithfulness of God. Uh, one Bible dictionary defined this word and said it's talking to us about stability or certainty. It is the idea of truth, as the New American Standard has it here, but it's more Uh, truthfulness. It's more faithfulness and trustworthiness is what is being described here. And so the Lord's hands, as it were, produce only these kinds of works. 
Works that we can count on, works that are certain and solid and sure and reliable. Getting a little bit behind here on the PowerPoint. But secondly, he says about God's works and especially his spiritual works that they are justice. The King James uses the word judgment here. God is a God of justice. God is a God of righteousness. God is a God of fairness, we might say. And I think it's because of God's love for all people as it's described among other passages. I don't have this one on the screen, but John 3 and verse 16, we all know that verse well, that God so loved the world, God so loved us, the people that he's created, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And God's love for all people results in him dealing justly and fairly with all people, especially as it relates to our salvation, our relationship with him, because he sent his son, as John 3 and verse 16 says, as John the Baptist said in John 1 and verse 29, he sent his son to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God is a just God. God is a loving God. And of course... This psalmist here in Psalm 111 is writing this long before Jesus Christ comes and lives on this earth, long before Jesus lays down his life on the cross for each one of us, long before he becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But how much more ought we to see that in our time? And then thirdly, he says about God's works that all of his precepts there at the end of verse 7, that they are sure And you can see, I think, as he talks about, as we've just mentioned here about the works of his hands being truth and his precepts are sure. He goes on to kind of expound on that a little bit in verse 8, that they are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness that God doesn't change. And what he has done, what he has created, it doesn't change. And what he has said, it doesn't change. And so God's word. Everything about God's Word, if you take the time sometime to read Psalm 119, it's talking about God's Word, but it's using a lot of different words to maybe look at different aspects of God's Word or to look at God's Word from a different perspective. And so, yes, the words that we have in this book called the Bible that are from God, the commands that He has given us, the laws that we find in there, the statutes, the standards that He has given to us, all of those are permanent, all of those are solid, all of those are sure. And this is calling our attention again to who God is. That God is a reliable God. That God is a faithful God. We can count on God. And so all of His precepts and all of His statutes are established. They are proven. And they will continue to be so forever. And the psalmist once again says that they are carried out with faithfulness. And they are carried out with uprightness, because that is who God is. And then the fourth word, as he talks to us here about his work, especially his spiritual work, is that word redemption. The Lord, obviously, as we've thought about even in a few examples this morning, he has sent, he sent physical redemption to Israel by defeating their foreign army, armies and allowing them to go and possess the land of promise. He has sent to us, of course, spiritual redemption And that is found through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we don't have the time this morning to look at these two texts early in Luke, but you can write those down. You can think about those. We have two individuals here, Zacharias, the, the father of John the Baptist, praising Jehovah for sending Jesus Christ, identifying Him there or describing Him as the redemption and the salvation of Israel. And then Anna, the prophetess, and 
Luke chapter 2 and verse 38. She is praising God for sending the Messiah. She told those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem that Jesus Christ is here. (laughs) That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's plan for our redemption. So God sent the redemption of the world, Jesus Christ, to prove, just like He was trying to prove to His people and remind them so many times, the people of old Israel, in all these great works that He did, God sent the redemption of the world, Jesus Christ, to prove that He has kept His covenant of salvation to us by providing us a Savior from our sin. And so we ought to praise the Lord for His wonderful spiritual works. And then the psalmist ends here at verse 10, I think really where he began, by saying, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments, His praise, endures forever. The psalmist began Psalm 111 by praising God. And the psalmist has come full circle here at the end by praising God. And so if we desire to be like this psalmist, if we desire to be wise people, we will reverence Jehovah, not just with our lips, but we will reverence God with our lives. If we desire to be knowledgeable people, we will be people who will submit ourselves to His words. We will obey His words. His praise endures forever, says the psalmist at the end of this psalm, and we must praise him for his great works. But we must also be people who are telling others as we have ability and opportunity about God's great works for as long as we live. A lot here in this little psalm, Psalm 111. I hope it's giving you some good things to consider today, some things maybe to meditate upon this week as we think about our great God. So let's carry those thoughts with us this morning as we are dismissed to our classes.